This is ESPN Crick Info. Bowl at Boyd's. Hello everyone, this is ESPN Crick Info. The name of the show is Bowl at Boyd's and I'm joined by Jeffrey Boycott from South Africa. How are you doing, sir? I'm enjoying the sunshine. Very oh. much so. Uh-huh. We have a couple of questions on South Africa today, but we'll take them a little bit later. Let's take the first one sent by Clyde Edwards from Australia, who says, Jeffrey, assuming Michael Clark does not get to lead Australia in the World Cup because of his injuries, who do you think should succeed him? And in tests too, do you think Stephen Smith is the right man to captain them in such a big series, considering the Ashes are coming up next summer? I think Brad Haddon would have been a better choice for them. What do you think? Nice question, but I don't agree with you. I've never been a big supporter of wicketkeepers being full-time captains. The reason it's such a hard, tiring job, it's mentally draining, is because the job means you've got to keep wicket and expect every ball coming to you. You've got to organise bowling changes, field places, different places for different bowlers, different batsmen. You're all the time thinking ahead of what the team needs. You know, the bowling changes, the fielding changes, and yet you're trying to concentrate on taking every ball. Uh, I think if you're a standing captain, as Brad Haddon did it when Michael Clark went off in uh, Adelaide, I think he'd do a very good job. It's not about him personally, it's about the job he has to do as wicketkeeper. And if you have to stand in for an occasional match, I think it's not too difficult. You know, you can do that, and uh, I think he'd do it easily because he seems to have a good cricket brain. But if Michael Clark can't make a comeback, then it may be better to go for someone who can do it every test match and not a standing wicketkeeper. Now, I know that people in India are going to say, what about Dhoni? Well, let me tell you, first of all, Dhoni is a rarity. How he does it, I don't know. He's a special individual with a special talent, great composure, a marvellous mental strength he has. And very few people in the history of cricket, over, what, 200 years of international cricket, have ever been able to do what Dhoni does. That's wicketkeeper and captaincy, and do it successfully in all kinds of competitions, and do it for such a long time. So there's always going to be exceptions to, not necessarily a rule, but an idea or a view. Now, it looks as if Australia, or the Australian selectors anyway, are aware that Michael Clark and his injury problems, we back and hamstring, they may be getting work, and maybe get into the serious point that uh, he may have to retire or may be unavailable for a, quite a number of matches. Now, when a captain is leading his team infrequently, it can be a bit awkward for the team. Because a team needs to follow its leader and follow the dynamics and the way that leader wants to lead the team. So a team is better off having a regular captain not chopping and changing leaders. So they're having to do different things with different guys. It's not about being wrong or right, it's just different ways of doing things. And Michael Clark himself said after his last injury in Adelaide that it may be the end of him as his body, not his talent, might not step up to the plate and to the rigours of international cricket. And so the Australian selectors seem to have taken all that on board and take it into consideration, and they are looking to someone who could do it full-time. I mean, Michael's fine. If Michael's fit, he's, he's an excellent captain and a brilliant batsman. 
Now, Australia have usually selected their best team and then chosen a captain from that team. And Steve Smith has played marvellously well ever since he came into Test Match Cricket. And he appears to have an excellent temperament. So, in my opinion, I think he's a good choice. But when it comes to the ODIs and the World Cup, George Bailey has done really well for Australia as captain of the ODI team. And when that comes around, it looks as if Australia will have three choices. They'll have Michael Clark at his feet, George Bailey, who's been doing it, and Steve Smith, who's now got a chance to do and cement his position as test captain. My money will be on George Bailey keeping it for the ODIs for the World Cup. He's shown a remarkable aptitude and his experience, having done it well, I think they might go for horses for courses in the short term and let Steve Smith try and bed down as the test match captain. Mm-hmm. Interesting choices there. Time for the second question, which is about England, sent by United States. Sorry, sent by Binaya from United <sighs> States, who says, Jeffrey, do you think that Ravi Bopara is the unluckiest cricketer in England right now? What can he do to be more effective? He doesn't need to do anything. And no, I don't think he's unlucky. I think he's been badly treated by England. There's people like Morgan, who's hardly made any runs for a year. Cook, not making any runs. Bell has been up and down, he's not been special. Left out of the team at the moment. They've all had some ordinary to poor performances and yet keep getting selected. Even after failure after failure. Ravi fails and he gets left out as he did in the summer in England. And he never seems to get moved up the order even when he's playing well. And if you get moved up the order, you get a better chance to make more runs because you've got more overs to bat. Yes, you can get out, but once you've got more overs, the opportunity is there to make a much bigger score. I think he's a very good one-day cricketer. But the England captain, the coach, the selectors have very different views. Not a lot I can do about it, but I'd pick him. I think he's a very, very good one-day player. Right, time to take the first question on South Africa, which is the third of the episode. Shane Fernandez from the United States sent this one. Assuming South Africa play all the big moments successfully through the World Cup, do you perceive they have the essential team composition to win the tournament? Their batting lineup is unstable and heavily dependent on key players like Amla and De Villiers. Would it be beneficial if they commit to an all-pace attack for majority of their encounters to increase their success rate? And who do you see as the additional all-rounder apart from JP Dumini to fill the role effectively? Would like to hear your views on the winning 11 that would hold the best chances for their success. Well, that's too far ahead for me to pick the winning 11. Anything could happen. And it's a matter of personal choice from selectors and coach. But look, South Africa have a very good team who could win the World Cup. And I don't agree with you, really, their batting depends totally on two world class batsmen, De Villiers and Ambler. Duplo seems to be very good for them. Played a lot in English cricket. He's a very good cricketer, very good batsman. He's got a good sound mind, good technique. And what about Miller? Miller is a tremendously powerful middle-order batsman. We saw a lot of him at Yorkshire in 2012. He was exceptionally good. I think, I think he's a very dangerous player and you'll be, you'll be uh, unwise to uh, underestimate his talent. For me, South African seniors are very good. But without Dumini, they don't have a proper all-rounder. 
And it's what they need. They don't need a, an, an all-rounder seamer. They need a spinner, an all-rounder spinner. And that's what doing when he helps them out. If he's fit and playing, he's a big factor for them because he can fill in with a number of off spinners. For me, the real weak link is Imran Tahir. It doesn't cut it for me. Look, in one-day cricket, it's a batting game. We all know that. Batting scores are going up and up and up all the time in one-day cricket. So every bowler, no matter how good you are, you could be Morning Markle, Dale Stain, doesn't matter, Finlander, we're all three exceptionally good. However, somebody will take you every now and again and whack you because it's a batting game on batting pitches, big bats, small boundaries. We've been through all this before. But the one thing you can't afford to do when you're in the field is lose control of the game. You can, the other side can be making runs, but you have a bowling and fielding side that is still retaining control where they're getting five and over, six and over, maybe seven. But you can't afford the big overs when the game gets away from you. And for me, Tahir is too expensive. I couldn't set fields to him. I couldn't set fields and have confidence that he's going to bowl to them. When he bowls, to me, when I've watched South Africa lose some control of the game, and once you're bowling and a team loses control, it's very hard and sometimes impossible to get that control back again. So for me, South Africa needs a spinner to do a holding job. Not expecting you to get lots of wickets, but you do have a better control than him so that you can intersperse him with the seamers, the very good seamers, and make sure the opposition aren't given easy runs. And I use the word given, given easy runs. Don't have to take them. He bowls lollipop balls, full tosses, and long hops. Sorry, that's too easy. And doesn't matter where your fielders are, they'll get walloped in one day cricket. The ball will disappear out of the park. Now, not many people expect South Africa to win the World Cup because in the past, when they played World Cups, they have usually cocked up at crucial moments and they've had very talented teams who've had stupid mistakes at very crucial moments and that's why you mentioned in your question if South Africa play the crucial moments well well all teams can say that if it's a big if small word big if it's pressure mental toughness composure under pressure this side doesn't have pressure on the squad to win the World Cup like some other South African sides who were more talented and who were expected maybe to win it. This team is not expected. It's expected to play well. And because it's not expected and there's less pressure, it might surprise everybody and they might surprise themselves. Boyk's Question of the Week And it's time for the last question of this episode sent by Brijesh from India. It's also in South Africa. We'll have to go back in time a little bit. South Africa did not play international cricket for 22 years during the apartheid era, even though some of their players did play for a while in the World Series as part of the rest of the world team. When they came back in 92, it seemed like they belonged to, inter to international cricket despite such a long absence. How do you think they were able to maintain such standards for such a long time without exposure to international cricket? Or was it that international teams in the early 90s were subpar? No, I think it's a very good question, and my answer to that is, I spent a lot of time in South Africa, I used to come here on holiday, I played club cricket here as well, but SA domestic cricket, the provincial cricket, was strong. 
And one of the reasons it was kept quite strong in that era when they were ostracised is many of their players, their good players, went over and played county cricket or they played club cricket as professionals. And even if you're not playing county cricket, when you're playing club cricket, these South African guys earned a living playing league cricket. They were the go-to man. It was tough to be the main player. They were paid to play well, bowl a lot of overs, make a lot of runs, with a lot of pressure on them. So the South African guys had to step up, have strong characters and a lot of talent. So that helps, you know, mature a player, gives him experience. And when he comes back and plays in their domestic cricket, it helps him and it helps keep the standard up. And then you had players who came and played county cricket. You had the Barry Richards, Clive Rice, Garth LaRue, the Mike Proctors, Vincent van der Bale played at Middlesex. A lot of these players, I could go on more, they played county cricket, went back to play their state cricket, which is called provincial cricket, and club cricket, so that helped keep standards high. And then round about the time when they were accepted back into international cricket, 91-92, you had people playing then like Kepler Vessels. Now, Kepler Vessels had played already played 24 tests for Australia in 82 to 86. He played for Sussex about five years, 76 to 80. He played in Queensland, 79, 80. The guy had had a lot of experience around the world, so he wasn't some novice, you know, had been in the wilderness for a long time. He'd been playing around the world. He was a very seasoned performer and a very good batsman too. And then you had people like Jimmy Cook, who was in that first team, opening batsman who played at Somerset in 1989. He got 3,000 runs in all types of competitions, championship cricket, one-day cricket. He got 11 centuries. Now, that's got to stand you in some good stead when you go back to play your own provincial cricket and then you, you're back into international cricket. And what about probably the best player of them all at the time when they went back into, uh, into proper cricket, proper international cricket, was Clive Rice. He'd been with Knotts from 1974 in their second team he then was playing in the first team in 1975. I mean, he was a fantastic player. He had all those years of experience, playing with Richard Hadley, a great bowler. Truly, use the word properly, great bowler. And I could go on about many more. Alan Donald played 87 to 2000 for Warwickshire. So, if you go and do your history, there's other people play. Craig Matthews played for Yorkshire from Western Province. You had Adrian Kuyper, I think, played for Derbyshire. I could give you up. Peter Kirsten, who played when they went back to international cricket, he was played in the first team against India. He played for Derbyshire and made mountains of runs. He's a wonderful player from Western Province, Cape Town. I can give you a list more of all these. And these guys playing, when they go back to play domestic cricket, it helps their cricket stay strong. And that's what helps South African cricket. So although the country was ostracized and... Uh, from international cricket, the individual players could go and play county cricket, could even go to Australia, they could go wherever they could earn a living. And that's what helped a great deal. And they're a very talented race of cricketers, sportsmen, rugby, all sorts of things. They're a very talented race, very competitive. All right, a pretty detailed answer for Brijesh out there. And uh, that, I'm afraid, is the end of this episode of Ball at Boyx. In exactly two weeks from now, Mr. Boycott will be here again with us to answer your questions. 
So do send in your questions, your feedback via feedback form on the website and we'll be joined again by Mr. Boycott take to take most of them, if not all. Till then, goodbye and good luck. You are listening to ESPN Crick Info. 